Gather round, take a seat, relax. It's the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Afzon, right here on 101.9 High FM. Good afternoon. My name is Rabbi Levi Rabbi Levi Afzon, and it is so good and it's a pleasure to be with you live on the High FM platform. And I hope that this finds you well and healthy and calm. Something that uh, is in short supply by all too many of us and that we can use an abundance of each and every one of us in our own lives. Come, relax, breathe. Think good, it will be good. Positive, calm energy. It's something that we all can use a healthy vaccine of, besides the, you know, the vaccine against COVID, which we should all take. We should all be having a vaccination against pessimism and against negativity. We are just a few weeks away from Rosh Hashanah. Looking at the calendar, Rosh Hashanah is literally just around the corner. Two, three weeks from today. Three weeks exactly. A new year. The Jewish mystics tell us that the new year is an entirely new energy. Each year has its unique energy that God puts into this world. And each year it's a total recreation. Truth is, the world is being recreated every moment into existence. And that's not only from a mystical perspective, that's from a physics perspective. The world is literally bubbling and bursting into existence every single moment. Creation is not a once-off event that happened. Creation is a constant event. So first and foremost, each moment that God's recreating this world is a a world that God's recreating by choice and a world that's good. But we're told especially on the new year, on Rosh Hashanah, the entire energy changes. It's an entire new flow. And we have the potential to bring in a new flow into this world, to besiege, to connect, and allow through our mindset and our work, our inner work, to to bring this flow in. We can allow it. We can enable it. But the first thing to bring in a new flow is to believe that it's possible. And the pessimism that says, this is not going anywhere, it's here to stay, look at the world, um, it, it serves us. Not only doesn't it serve us well, it's a menace. It's a menace because we create reality. And it's like a chicken and an egg because, yes, COVID came into this world and various other challenges come in. And then that makes us cynical and pessimistic. And that leads us to bring in a certain energy into this world, certain thoughts. And then it's our thoughts materialize. Again, this is a truth both from physics and from Jewish mysticism. The idea that our Thoughts influence reality. 
and we bring in an energy into this world. I mean, quantum physics is all about perception, and, and it's the perceiver, it's the person standing outside that kind of creates the reality. It's a mind-boggling concept in general. Quantum physics is something that really, you know, takes you to the next level, and it's so it's so in sync with with godliness and spirituality. But if we just allow our current energy to continue, our energy that sits there saying, not going anywhere. Ay, we're not going anywhere, just negative, 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 negative. Besides the fact that it's not healthy for our sanity, it's not healthy for our physical, it also it doesn't help to change the reality. Changing a reality starts, first and foremost, in our own minds, not outside of us. We create reality. We bring energies into this world. And more than our thoughts is our words. The entire universe was created through words. That's what the Torah tells us. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. How did he create it? And God said, let there be light. And God said, let there be vegetation. And God said... Let there be animals and sea monsters and whatever else happened during the stages of creation. The world was created through ten utterances. God said, obviously, not the way we talk, and Jewish mysticism explores that extensively what it means God talks, but fundamentally, it's the idea of speech, of bringing outward, of sharing. And talking has such a power that it creates Reality, in a most physical sense. That's how reality was created. Now, Rosh Hashanah, the new year, we commemorate creation. People often forget what Rosh Hashanah is all about. It's a day of justice. Yes, it's a lot of things. But ultimately, what does Rosh Hashanah commemorate? Zikaron, it's a It's a commemoration of creation. The sixth day of creation, the day that Adam was created, was on Rosh Hashanah. Adam and Eve. And according to the commentaries, their children as well, Cain, Abel, and their twins. They were all created on this day. So Rosh Hashanah commemorates creation itself. And what did the, what brought into creation? What brought creation into existence? Speech, words. And that's why we're so we ought to be so careful with our words. The the ethics of our fathers tells us. Wise people, it says, not wise people in a cynical way, but he says, true wise people, be careful what you say. Your words are extremely powerful. First of all, it could be misinterpreted, but also your words create realities. And all too often we just throw, we throw words. Again, I'm, I'm guilty as anybody else. We throw words when a negative state and we have to express our emotions and we just, you know, unpack. And yes, there's definitely room and safe space, a safe space to unleash our emotions, but we're often very careless with our words. We're much more careless with our words than we are with our money. Whatever, it just came out of my mouth, big deal, I'm not I'm sorry, I was in a bad mood, sorry, I wasn't thinking, or whatever, like just, we yap and blah out a lot of words out of our system without realizing this is creating stuff. You're creating stuff. Your words matter. Each and every word that comes out of us is, is meaningful. And that's why there are some Jews, it's not a common custom, who go on things called Tanit Dibur. 
they fast from speech. You know, most of us know about fasting from food or drink. They fast from speech. They pretty much won't talk anything other than, you know, davening, prayer, and Torah learning. They will not discuss a single thing for a 24-hour period. Some people do it over Rosh Hashanah, some people do it over Yom Kippur, and some people do it every week, one or two days a week, they do it, they just don't talk. It must be quite frustrating to be married to such a person, but that's their thing. And I personally, I don't see myself ever going there, but I appreciate where it's coming from. I appreciate the intention. And the intention is, I'm reminding myself, just like fasting from food reminds me that I'm in control of my food, and the food's not in control of me. So too, I am in control of my words, and my words are not in control of me. I don't just say things. Everything that comes out of the mouth ought to be something that follows thought, something that follows mature, conscious thinking, something that it, the, the words must come from a place that realizes that words create reality, and each and every one of us creates reality. And that leads us back to where we started. Three weeks from now is a new year, and truth is, each moment is a new reality. Are we walking in with a mindset and speech that says, eh, it's going to be as bad as it's been, it's terrible, it's this, it's that? Or do we realize that we can create reality, and first of all, it's never as bad as we think it is, and it's definitely not going to be as bad as we think it will be. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avtson on 101.9 High FM. This is Rabbi Levi Avtson from Linksfield Shul, and this is 101.9 High FM, and it's a pleasure and an honor to be able to be here with you on this Tuesday, the 9th of Elul and the 17th of August. And we're talking about the power of our mindset, the power of our thoughts. And let me just say clearly, like there's many people that talk about this concept, and there are many people that talk about this concept from a very spiritual perspective. Um, that's not me. In other words, uh, I'm not one of those people that you know sees energies. And again, I have no. I'm, I wish I was. I'm not one of those people that looks down and says, "Oh gosh, you like you know you see an energy in a tree or you see an energy oozing." I don't see that stuff. At the same time, I strongly believe in, in, in what Torah tells us, and in, in the reality, I know that you walk into a room and you just, that you, self-fulfilling prophecy is a real reality of this world. And we create prophecies, we create narratives, and all of our life is based on narratives. Pretty much your entire universe, your entire life, is a narrative, how you go through the day. It's based on a story you tell yourself of how you should go on the day. It's not necessarily a story you made up. It might be a story that society taught you, your parents taught you, or just by learning example of other people around you, you've picked it up. But ultimately, we all live a story. All our priorities are based on a story. We decide, okay, it's worth it for me to go and work, which might be a bit stressful because I need money. Why do I need money? To be able to live a certain quality of life, etc. It's all stories we tell ourselves. If we had no stories and we were just simple, you know, bare animals, uh, then what do we need to live? Very little. But we create stories, and those stories... Some of them serve us, and some of them don't. But the first thing to acknowledge is that it's all a story. And you make decisions based on a story. In other words, 
I've seen it all too often when it comes with people and relationships and, you know, they, they'll fall into a similar trap over and over and over and end up in dysfunctional relationships one time, two times. And at some stage you ask yourself, what narrative are you showing up with that's attracting you to this kind of life over and over and over? And it's not just karma or just, you know, the law of attraction. It's literally story you're telling yourself about yourself, a story that you might not even be conscious of, a story that says that I don't deserve better, a story that says normal is boring. I don't know, each person with their own stories. And then that is allowing the person to feel an attraction to somebody who can be an absolute disaster for them. Whereas if somebody was walking in with a healthier story, the second they sit across the person like, whoa, never. I wouldn't want to spend five minutes with you. Your energy is so toxic. But the other person is for some reason not seeing it. And it's all based on a narrative. It's based on a dysfunctional narrative very much, but it's a story. And the, and the beauty of understanding it's a story is that you could then change the story. The moment you're, we become aware that the way we see life is a story, a narrative, that in, in, in some way we're all living a novel. We're all living a fiction in the fact that we're creating a story and a character in our own mind. Then we could decide, okay, I'm sick and tired of this novel. I'm sick and tired of playing this character. It's not serving me well. Can I try to find within myself something else? Can I try to adopt something else? Can I try to see the world through a different lens? So ask yourself, in the last 18 months, or in your entire life for that matter, which stories have served you well and which stories have not served you well? Have, has your story about your worthiness served you well? Has your story about your country served you well or not? I was talking to someone over the weekend, and I'm sure if, you've been, if you, this is not the first time you're listening to my show, you, you, you know what I'm going to say now. I was talking to somebody over the weekend about you know South Africa and my famous, um, I didn't make it up, but I say it all the time, my famous expression, South Africans live in heaven and think they're in hell. And we were chatting about it, and you know, it was nice to talk to somebody who actually agreed with me. And many people don't. Many people have bought into a narrative 60 years ago that the other shoe is going to drop on this country very soon, and it's all going to end. And the fact that currently a former president sitting in prison, eh, even though everyone promised it's never going to happen, but eh, it doesn't mean much. See, there was riots. And the fact that the riots, you know, didn't even last a week. And I guess they were terrible compared to where my family went through the crazy riots in March of last year, April, May, sorry, of last year. And the whole New York was an absolute mess for three, four weeks. I'm like, okay, you know, it's challenges, but there's also challenges in other places. No. The fact that after fetching about all the vaccines, thank God the vaccine rollout has been amazing at this stage, and yet people aren't getting vaccinated by their own choice, that the places are still empty, and not enough people are getting vaccinated, but you can't really blame the government. But the point is, there's a narrative, and the narrative is that South Africa's other shoe is going to drop. I've lived in this country for 11 years. I'm not a professor in this country, but I'm an outsider. And an, and an outsider, I'll say straight out, that is the single worst serving narrative a community can ever have, especially when this country has shown itself the ability to recreate itself 
and its deep moral core. And yet, for 60 years, at least since the 60s, if not even earlier, there's just been this, there's been this narrative. The shoe is gonna drop. It's coming to an end. If it wasn't the previous crisis, it will be this crisis. I was listening to this panel a few weeks ago, um, arranged by the Jewish Report. Fascinating. The three speakers were talking. And one of them says, he, he calls it, I think it was the 18 month. Every 18 months, there's a new crisis that, that tells us, okay, this is coming to an end. The world is coming to an end. This is the end of the country. I've heard it so many times. And for, and be honest, sometimes I actually believed it because it was so convincing. And when you hear it from so many people. And at some stage, I'm like, eh, it's the boy who cried wolf. It's like, come on. What narrative did we buy into 60 years ago that this country's going to the dogs and we better move elsewhere to greener pastures that even many of us who stayed here are still convincing ourselves, Nebach, we were shortchanged. We should have agreed with Auntie Helene who moved over to Toronto in 1974. Why? Has that story served you well? It hasn't, because it's it's caused an incredible amount of anxiety. It means that even when we live here, many of us are living here with our sitting on the fence. Many of us are li- living with hesitancy. Many of us are living with with a sense of doom. What a miserable way to live. And so far, the prophecy has not materialized. After 60 years of the prophecy, at some stage, you know, according to Jewish law, there's the laws of prophets, and the prophet has to be proven at some stage, you know, to to say the truth, if someone's just saying prophecy after prophecy and nothing's materializing, as problem, what does that mean? What does it say about you? And yet the prophecies continue. It's happening. It's happening. I've been, again, I'm here 11 years, and I've heard every year, at least from, I don't know, a dozen people, but much more. If I'm being, you know, conservative. Rabbi, three years. I give it three years, and this country's collapsing. Three years. And I've heard it for 11 years, and I believe there's people that's heard it much longer than me. They've been hearing it for decades. I'm like, come on! But again, that's a narrative that for some reason we bought into. And it's done no good. It's depleted the numbers of our community unnecessarily. It's caused an incredible amount of anxiety by so many people. And for what? For what? So what stories are you telling yourself about yourself? That's the, on the macro, about a country, about a future, about the future of your children. Then what countries are you telling, what stories are we telling ourselves about ourselves that are also, the shoe's gonna drop, my life's gonna fall apart, I'm terrible, I'm shocking, I don't deserve this, um, I'm, I'm a bad Jew, or I'm bad this, or I don't know, just the stuff we say. Why? How in the world can we transform ourselves when we when we look and feel that all hope is gone? How can you feel excited to go build your life if you think your life is over? How can you go build a country if you believe the country is over? The moment you give up and that's the narrative, it's over, then there are no stories left to create. Because when you're just waiting for it to end and you're just waiting for Armageddon, there's no hope. I remember before, you know, I was living in the, in the 90s, I was living in the US, and I'm sure if you've, you know, older than, I don't know, 25 years, you remember the Y2K panic. Oh my gosh, the year 2000's coming, all computers are gonna collapse. There were even, I remember there was a song that, you know, 
the year, if the year 2000 is going to come in, then we're at least going to have candles burning. It was a Jewish song. At least we're going to have the Shabbos candles because uh, the, the, the new year came in, I believe, on a Friday night, the year 2000, January 1st. And the people literally expecting Armageddon. It's coming. It, the world is coming to an end. And I think to yourself, when that's your narrative and, and you're so tunnel vision on that, what's the chance of anything positive happening in your life? Of any innovation, any creation, any magic to happen. How can it? When all you see is the end and you don't see, wow, yes, there's challenges, but in the challenges is potential, then the narrative is destroying you. So I'll be honest, even if let's say, which I don't believe, I'm a big believer in the Rebbe's bracha to this place that this country will last, but even if let's say one day this country does go to the dogs, for the hundred years that people gave up, was it worth it for them? I would say no. Just because something happened at the end, which again, I don't believe will happen, that's why you lived with anxiety all the years before and you didn't create, you didn't create successful lives, successful businesses. Why? Why? So the point is, even if the story one day might turn out the pessimist, they always say, walks out the best. Why? Because if it works out as bad as he expected, he was right. And if it works out good, well, you know what? Well, it worked out good. Great. Fantastic. You know, so he wins on both ways. So living with a pessimistic attitude might sound, you know, wise. But it's so counterproductive to our own success, to our own accomplishment, to our own hope. And what we need more than ever before is hope. So ask yourself, what story are you believing in? And is it a story that gives you hope? Or is it a story that gives you despair? This is 101.9. Chai. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avtson on 101.9 Chai FM. This is Rabbi Levi Avtson from 101.9 Chai FM. Stories we tell ourselves. And all too often stories are counterproductive. So let's think about the story that we're, many of us are telling ourselves, billions of people are telling ourselves during this uh, pandemic, that um, life's never going to be the same. Sometimes I wonder if that's a good thing. <laughs> like some of the parts that in the past were great, but like really, like is, do we really want to go back to 2019? Don't know. Uh, I don't recall it being a paradise on earth unless my memory's, uh, you know, not serving me well. Life's never going to be the same. Our kids are going to, you know, lack so much. It's going to be a different world. It's going to be crazier, look what's going on in Afghanistan, and look what's going on here, and look what's going on there. And here's the funny thing, or the sad thing. Once you create a narrative, you'll always have the facts to back it up. And if you don't have the facts, you create facts, like the anti-vaxxers. You know, you, 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 you create a narrative, and then you fit everything into your narrative. You create a story and then you, you, you search for everything to fit it. And often it's, it's facts. You know, I'll give you an example. Even within Judaism, if let's say somebody decided that they want to find a judgmental, they believe that Judaism is judgmental. They'll find a quote here, a quote there, some of it out of context, etc. And then they'll sit there proving, look, what I said is right. In general, I'm never impressed by quotes because quotes can always be taken out of context. You know, you get a two-liner. You don't know what came before. You don't know who came after. You don't know who the person was who said it. You don't know anything. And yet somehow it becomes, you know, the, 
the truth. What's the context that we fit all our information in? Do we, fil- do we filter all our information through a lens of optimism or a lens of pessimism? Do we filter our reality through a lens that says that the, the best of life is behind us or ahead of us? Do we filter information with the lens that says that life is good? And yes, there are tough moments, but fundamentally life is good or that life is just shocking. What, what am I filtering it through? That's really what we do. We're all filtering events, facts, and we're interpreting things based on a pre-formed narrative. But rarely do we question the narrative. We only question, you know, we argue with each other on facts. I remember I was having an argument with a certain fellow who they interpret the world through a pretty pessimistic, cynical view. And we were arguing about facts. And at some stage in the argument, I realized we're not going to go anywhere. As long as we're both filtering facts differently, I'm trying to filter it through a lens that says that the best days are ahead of us. And this individual is doing it the other way. The facts are irrelevant. Because we're all filtering it. We're both filtering it based on something. So you could say something good and the pessimist will say it's bad. You could say something bad and the optimist will say it's good. The point is, what's the narrative? What's the underlying story? Give another example. Rosh Hashanah is coming. It's a year we, it's the day that we commit to crown Hashem as our king. What's your narrative about religion? Everything will fit into that narrative. If you see religion as a constricting, disabling, tyrannical method of opium of the masses, and throw a few more, you know, you know, heavy words in, then everything will fit in. Give you an example. Recently, there was this show that came out, you know, My Unorthodox Life, and in there, the former Orthodox woman is, you know, she's being cynical about the custom of what shoelace we tie first. And it's often like that first thing people, oh, Judaism is pathetic, look at it, it gets involved in the details. I mean, really, it doesn't matter which shoelace I put on first. Now, if your baseline is that Judaism is there to interfere in your life, then you have the ultimate proof. Judaism tells you which shoelace to tie. But if you see Judaism as and, 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 and religion as a method to connect to God, and to, to beautify this world, to bring holiness into the world, then you say, well, one second, why am I tying my left shoe first? Because the left symbolizes Vura. The left symbolizes the discipline, the harshness, the harsh part of my reality. And that needs to be tied up much more than my kindness. My discipline, the negative parts within me, or the, the harsh parts within me, need much more tying than the, the positive parts within me, which, which can flow much better. In other words, you need to control the bad parts of your personality, or the harsh parts, more than the generous parts. So suddenly, it's not about, oh my gosh, if I tie the wrong shoelace first or wrong, then I'm going to sit there burning. That's not the point. Point is, God says, wow, when you're tying the shoelace, you think it's, it's significant. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's very significant. Everything you do as a human being, because you're a piece of God in this world, because you're God's ambassador in this world, everything you do is significant. Now, if that's the narrative, then you sit there saying, okay, God, why do you want me to? What's the message here? What's, what am I here to do? But if your baseline is Judaism interferes in life, then yes, every little detail you hear, oh my gosh, 
the hair, and you have to wear a shaitel, and you have to do this, and you eat this kind of food, and you don't eat on this food, and this level of kosher, and that, and that, oh my gosh, and it's overwhelming, and it's crazy. But what's the baseline? What's your narrative? If your narrative is that this is an opportunity to play your part in this world and bring godliness into the world, then would you say no to another million dollars in your account? No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't say, oh gosh, I mean, I already have, you know, 20 million dollars. I'm like, who needs a 21st? I've never heard anyone say that. Why? Because you see it as a blessing. And rightfully so. I mean, whatever, you could misuse it, but yeah, money's a blessing if you have it, if you use it well. But somehow, when it comes to a mitzvah, oh gosh, really? It's so overburdening. It doesn't end. It's never ending. Yeah, what's next? Okay, 613, another 50 books, another, that, yeah. And you're like, yeah, you're right, because you're, it's all fitting into your narrative, but your narrative is wrong. Your facts are right, but your narrative is wrong. And therefore, that by default, that means your facts are also wrong, because you're misinterpreting them. What's your underlying story about faith, about God, about yourself, about your role in this world, about humanity? What, how do you see this world? How do you see humanity? If you see humanity, give me one final example. If you see humanity as, you know, unnecessary to this world, this world was doing so well till the human being showed up. Then fundamentally, everything that happens in this world fits into the narrative that says human beings are the single biggest mistake that ever happened in this world. I, I think that's a terrible narrative to live with. And it's counter to, to, to the Torah. It's counter to the idea that God chose the human being specifically to play the part. And yes, the human being can be a disaster. But they're the core of this world. They're the, they're the purpose. And through their actions, they can elevate this world. But if you have a story that says human beings are redundant, overpopulation, or other words we use to pretty much, whenever people talk about overpopulation, for me it just sounds like saying, okay, one billion people are redundant, um, which uh, is quite patronizing if you think about it, and many other things. But what narrative are you telling yourself? If you have a good narrative, then everything will fit. Let's focus on our narrative. This is 101.9 Chai FM. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avtson on 101.9 Chai FM. This is 101.9 Chai FM. Rabbi Levi Avtson about to wrap up the show. Um, we've been talking all about narratives and I really, I pray that we all work on our narratives for this new year, that we have narratives that serve us, that that, that, that help us achieve our purpose in this world. Narratives that don't get in the way of God's flow, but they, they enable and, and create a portal for us to allow Hashem to flow through us so that we can play our part with dignity, with purpose, with intention. And I want to conclude the show with wishing each and every one of us we should be inscribed and signed in the book of a good life, a good and sweet year. This Final song is a beautiful melody on some of the words that we say over this period. Just before Yomtev, we will do Slichot. Lemancha lekeno asevelolanu. God, do it for us. Uh, do it for you on your behalf, God, if not for our sake. And help us. A beautiful song by Eitan Katz. This is 101.9 FM. Have a great day.